to be back with you. I give thanks for your pastor, Dr. Greg Cooper. So he has been a key part of everything that God has done through the association. He's currently moderator of our association, serves on our admin team, which is the steering uh, group for that. So he's had a part and parcel. First Baptist Groveport is a, a key aspect of everything God is doing. So I bring you greetings from the other 127 churches in Metro Columbus Baptist Association. So we've started three new ones so far this year. There's a Dublin Chinese church, Pastor Hailong Lee. It's our first Chinese church here in Central Ohio in our network. And then a Bhutanese church, Michelle Bujel. His brother Raj is also a pastor, so he's getting started to talk to him. And then an Anglo church, Watermark Church up in Worthington. Worthington Baptist was down to about 11 people, decided through a process to merge with Jersey. Jersey decided to spin it off as its own church, standalone church. So here's, here's uh, somebody following God. So Rick Young and his wife Wendy moved from Panama City Beach, Florida to Worthington, Ohio in January, right? In Ohio. So thank the Lord for that. Yeah, so God's done a lot of things. Also bring your greetings from Stowe Mission. Last year, Stowe served 157,736 meals to needy people, helped about 1,000 medical patients through the dental clinic, the eye clinic. Uh, we have uh, mental health now. We have a psychiatrist. Christian psychiatrist that's volunteering there. So we thank God for all that. And, uh, but here we're grateful for Dr. Kwan, for God's leadership in his heart. And as you may notice, Greg's wife Marla has braces. My wife Tina has braces. So those of you that know Greg and me may think that we brought a dentist all the way from South Korea just to get a free consultation on the dental. <laughs> but that's not what we did. We came here today for an ordination. An ordination is a setting aside of someone, in this case, Dr. Kwan, for the gospel ministry. And what's key to know about that is not that we are setting him aside. We didn't pick it. Dr. Cooper didn't pick it. The church in North Korea or South Korea did not choose it. it it's God who sets him aside, and then we recognize that. So today we come before the Lord not to make the choosing but to honor the choosing and to see some instructions from God's Word about what that should be. Because God's Word is very specific, very direct when it talks about pastors, what's required of a pastor, and in with what's required of a pastor, there are also things required of a people. Because if the pastor wants to do it and the people don't want to do it, it's not going to happen. If the people want to do it and the pastor doesn't want to do it, it's not going to happen. I deal with churches a lot. <laughs> but when God gives a vision and the pastor surrenders himself and the people surrender themselves, then God can do his greatest work. And that's what he desires to do through Dr. Kwan, through Dr. Cooper, and for every other church associated with us and every other church that wants to honor God. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. So this is the one passage in Scripture that brings together the three characters, characteristics, the three things that are expected of a man of God. There are three qualities, three central overriding principles that should be present in any man that's called by God to lead a local church. Other passages may have one of them or a couple of them, but this is the one that brings all three of those together. Here, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 says, The elders who are among you I exhort, 
I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by constraint, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Let's pray. Father, we open your word this morning because we want to be changed by it. We don't want to increase our knowledge. We want to transform our lives. So I pray that you allow us with open hearts and open hands and open heads to see what it is that you are saying to us. We pray that through a better understanding from your word of what it means to be a pastor and what it means to be a people, that we will be different when we leave here. And I don't know exactly what area that will address. I know in my life it addresses a lot of areas. It addresses what I think, what I believe, how I act, how I feel, what my desires are. So all those different areas, those compartments, we take those walls down and just open it all to you this morning, Holy Spirit, and ask you to speak to us. We pray that in Jesus' name and amen. So the first characteristic, the first thing this passage tells us that is expected or required of a pastor is to be an elder. You notice there in verse 1, it uses the word elder. So Peter is speaking to a group of elders, and then he identifies himself also that he is an elder. So an elder is a word that means a mature one, somebody who is mature in the faith. It doesn't necessarily mean age. It means maturity. So when I was a pastor in a local church, you know, sometimes in some churches, the way you get quote, promoted into a position as if you've been there for a long time. We didn't do that, right? We didn't promote people. We didn't move people up in ministry according to seniority. We moved people up according to maturity. So I had one guy in the church, he was there 15, 20 years, wanted to be a teacher, didn't let him be a teacher. Why not? Well, in an upward basketball game, his son was playing and the call didn't go his way. He starts jumping up and down, screaming, his face is red, losing his crackers. And then he came up later and said, what does somebody have to do to be a teacher here? So we had five things, right? I'd like to try that. I don't think we have a good spot for you right now. And we never did because he didn't fit. He wasn't mature. He had not allowed the Holy Spirit to work in his life enough to where he reacted uh, violently, right? Angrily, it did not show the fruit of the Spirit. One mistake that we make in our churches is that spiritual growth is often a little too bookish. We think spiritual growth means that I went through a certain number of Bible studies or I attended certain schools, seminary, college, Bible college. When the Bible talks about spiritual maturity, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness gentleness, self-control. So as a pastor, there are things that you need to know 
But you also need to let that know flow through you for God to do his greatest work. Because God won't do through you until he is done in you. He won't go broader in ministry till he has gone deeper in the minister. And that's usually an, an issue of self-surrender. Am I willing to give up what I think or how I feel or how I've always been taught to yield to what God wants me to do in this particular instance? And those aren't biblical kinds of things. It's, it's things that we learn, that we pick up along the way that, that just aren't so. I was talking to a group of pastors recently, and uh, one of them identified his own thing that he thought was that he's not very good at ministry, right? Not a very good preacher. So they don't have many people coming to the church. And he hesitates to uh, make a push to get more people to come. Do you know why? He would just feel more embarrassed. Then more people would know that he's not a very good preacher, he's not a good so what needs to happen there? And by the way, he is a good preacher, and he is a good leader. So what needs to happen is he needs to change his mind about who he is under God and what it is that God wants to do through him. That's what the Bible says, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How is that? By the renewing of your mind. If you want to change your life, you change your mind. Change your life, change the way that you think. So Peter here is identifying the key characteristic for a pastor is maturity, spiritual maturity. You know, preaching is more than just saying words. If that were the case, you could train a bunch of parrots to do it, right? It's allowing that word to go through you. You could have the same sermon, let's say the same words, same phrasing, exact same sermon have two different results. Let's say that one time it was preached through Billy Graham, who's since gone on to be with the Lord, but Let's say Billy Graham preached that sermon, and then in the second instance, a pastor who's been doing a whole lot of things he shouldn't have been doing and was found out preached that same sermon. You think the result would be different? Absolutely. And it's not based on the words, it's based upon who it is that's preaching. Somebody who has surrendered to the Lord and allowed him to work through them. Uh, the Greeks who were master communicators said there are three aspects to speaking. First is ethos. Second is pathos, and then lagos. Ethos is the ethic that it, it needs to be good. It needs to be right. It needs to be true. We would agree with that. But secondly is pathos, or pathos, as some people say. It's, it's where we get the word empathy, the word sympathy. It's that you feel with, that you understand not just mentally, but also emotionally. It's what was used of Jesus when he said that he looked out upon the city with compassion wasn't an intellectual exercise, but he was viscerally moved because of the lostness of the city and the people around him. And then you get lagos, which is the content or the word. So it needs to be right, but then it needs to be deeply embedded in you, and then you preach it. That's what it means to be an elder, somebody that has surrendered to God, surrendered his own inadequacies, his own fear, his own failure, to allow God to use him in ways that he could not even imagine, to be mature. 1 Timothy chapter 4, 16, verse 16 says, take heed to yourself and to doctrine. Continue in them, 
For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. It's not just about knowing the Bible. The Bible was not written to increase our knowledge. The Bible was written to change our lives. And you, pastor, and you, people, if God's going to use you effectively, you must surrender yourself to him for him to use you in the way that he wants to use you. That's what it's all about. It's important to study the Bible. You need that as a foundation. You need the ethos. You need to know what's right. But then what has it done for you? And then it can impact the lives of other people. So he changes us. We have spiritual maturity. We have, must have integrity, right? We must keep our appointments. We must pay our bills. We must keep our word. When you tell somebody you're going to do something, they should be able to take that to the bank, literally. That's integrity. The word integrity comes from the word integer, which integer is any whole number. Integrity means that if you look at a crystal ball, that it's the same on the outside as it is on the inside. That's what integrity is. What you see is what you get, right? Who you are on the inside is who you are on the outside. Who you are on the outside is who you are on the inside. For God's word to flow through you, you need to be transparent to him for that, uh, the Holy Spirit of God to be able to work through you. It's, it's, um, it's more of a conduit, right? So a, a few years ago, we had in our front yard, the downspout was going into this drain that kept bubbling up, right? The water wasn't going through it. Tried to figure out where it was. So I ran a snake from the road, a snake from the house. Well, both stopped under this huge tree that I'm sure was a very small tree when the house was put there, but it's a very large tree now. So I dug that thing up. It's like 22 inches below the surface of the ground. I know that because I measured it. <laughs> and that trunk was all... So it had, that trunk had grown around that pipe, and that pipe looked like somebody just took it and twisted it. Incredible. And then borrowed a chainsaw, dulled the chain. Finally had to hire a guy. To, I mean, it was a mess. But we did it all volunteer until we got to that point. Water could not get through that pipe. And it wasn't the fault of the water. It was the fault of the pipe. Your life is a pipe. Your life is a conduit. So like that tree that grew little by little over the years, it just happens little by little, right? So it's an open flowing pipe when you first accept Christ and then something happens at the church you don't like very much and then and somebody says something that kind of offends you. And then you decide that you really don't want to do what you know you should do. And before you know it, that pipe's closed off and the Holy Spirit of God cannot flow through you. And you're wondering why there's no water coming out of the place it's supposed to be coming out of. Because you've got to give it up. Give up what you think and what you believe and often what you've been taught. God to use you the way that he wants to use you. So here's some ways of doing that. Here's just a list of spiritual disciplines. Won't spend a lot of time here. One is a daily quiet time, taking time each day to talk and listen to God. That's a spiritual discipline. It's a good one, good one to employ. Another is journaling. I do this. So you see here a pad. I've got stacks of these notebooks. I just write stuff. What do you write? Whatever I'm thinking to God. Right? It's just kind of writing him a letter. Every morning it's crazy different. Sometimes goals, sometimes Things I'm sorry for, sometimes all kinds, just journaling, just releasing myself to him to give him permission 
to change anything that needs to be changed. Move me in any direction you want me to move. I'll go wherever you want me to go. And that's what surrender comes down to. So are you willing to do whatever God wants you to do? Or do you say things like, well, I'd never go to wherever. There's no way I'd ever, right? You're, you're, you're twisting that pipe. You're, you're, you're locking that off. Now, it doesn't mean that God will send you there, but it does mean it's entirely his prerogative whether or not you go. And it's not up to you. Remember years ago, I was on a mission trip in Kenya, Africa, and I'd learned some Swahili. And I totally agree with our brother here. You need to be fluent in another language, right? We have 129 churches, 128 churches. About 30 of those are language churches. Uh, so we have 128 churches. People say, well, how many ethnic churches do you have? 128, right? We're all ethnic. Yeah. So with our Kenyan church, I say, Ninam shukuru buana kwa ajili yenu na ushiri kiana katika injili. Which means I thank the Lord for you and your partnership in the gospel, right? To our uh, Spanish-speaking church over meeting at Crossing Community Church, that's de vida. I say, Gloria a Dios porque Jesucristo vive en mi corazón. Estoy tratando aprender español porque la lengua es muy guapa. Right? Trying to learn Spanish because it's a beautiful language. Yeah. Because I am not my own. And neither are you. And you'll figure out somewhere along the way, God's purpose for your life is not something you create but it's something you discover. Now, some of you don't want to do that because of something that happened to you in the past. Then you read 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that says, we comfort others <clears throat> with the comfort we received from God when we were comforted in all our affliction. Often, that wound is a direction sign pointing you to God's will for your life. In that passage, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, he, he describes those kinds of things, and he says, we despaired even of life. <laughs> you know what he's saying? I thought I was going to die. Have you ever been there? I've been there. Moved from Texas, one of the largest churches in the country, came here, took a massive pay cut, only to find out that the bottom's dropping out financially. When you wake up in the middle of the night, stare into the dark at about 3 o'clock and start with the question, am I the dumbest person I've ever met? <laughs> it doesn't go in a good direction. But I came because I believe God wanted me to. <laughs> there were a lot of reasons it wasn't because of. What are you willing to do? If that answer is anything but anything, you got something you need to work on before God will use you like he wants to. Well, God can do anything, but he won't if you don't let him, if you're twisting that pipe. So it could be fasting, going without something meaningful for 24 hours. could be solitude, sitting 30 minutes without distractions. could be prayer. Simplicity is a spiritual discipline, choosing one instead of many. Sabbath, having one day a week where from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, you don't think about work, you don't read about work, you don't do work uh, for that day. could be meditation, choosing one Bible verse, asking God to show you its implications in your life. 
could be Bible study, where you read it. What does it say? What does it mean to me? What do I need to do? Could be stewardship, giving the first 10% of your income to God. Could be secrecy, as a spiritual discipline, doing or accomplishing something and only telling God about it, or serving, performing a physical act for another person. So the little things are a big thing, right? Centerpiece of maturity, that we surrender ourselves to God. So that's the first one, elder. The second one is shepherd. It's the word poimen, it's the word feed. So an elder is one who is mature and has character. A shepherd is one who feeds and has competence. So I call this, you can go to the next slide there. Exemplary character, and then the next one. Go ahead. Yep, again. Yeah, excellent competence. God calls pastors to be excellent in their execution and their competence. It's not okay just to goofball around and do it half-heartedly because you figure nobody will notice. God notices. God, who is an excellent God, who inspired the creation of the world, did it with purpose and a plan and rationale and beauty and chemistry and excellence, and he expects nothing less than us. I hear some people say, well, pastors aren't professionals. Are they supposed to be amateurs? They absolutely are professionals. If you take your calling seriously, you will do it to the best of your ability. You study you prepare, you change yourself to be the very best you can be so God can do his very best through you. We can do none less. It's not that we don't have challenges. It's not that there aren't things you got to figure out, but it does mean that you're willing to change all those things to be what it is that God wants you to be. So you notice there's another passage that talks about preachers. It's over in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So it describes the qualifications for an elder calls it a bishop there in that context, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Faithful saying of a man desires the position of a bishop. We'll talk about that word here in a few minutes. Um, but here in this passage, all of these that we talked about just before your character, a bishop must then be blameless character, husband and one wife character, temperate character, sober-minded character, good behavior character, hospitable character, able to teach competence. Interesting. So there are character qualities that you need to have, surrender to God, spiritual disciplines, but there are also competencies that you need to acquire, and one of those is the ability to teach. Now, it doesn't mean that you can do as well preaching when you first start as you want to on the end, right? Warren Wiersbe said, if you cannot preach, God did not call you to preach. <laughs> he said, Warren Wiersbe wrote a lot of uh, devotions for the New Testament, the B-series and the Old Testament. He said, the preacher was so bad that people stayed away in droves, right? <laughs> but it doesn't need, mean you need to be great when you first start, but it needs to be you're kind of working on that. I remember my first church, 26 years old, pastoring. It was kind of a spring morning. I remember the sun shining outside. I'm preaching out of Psalm 139, and I'm kind of laying into it here. About 10 minutes into that sermon, and I'm thinking, this is boring, right? <laughs> I'm bored, and I'm the one preaching it. That's what I'm thinking while I'm, Lord, help these people, right? So a good friend of mine told me when I first started preaching, you know, I, I, could, have written, I, I could have written an article about your sermon, but I, okay, I got it. I'd have pages of notes. But I spent all my time on preparation and not enough time on presentation, right? And doesn't that matter? Yeah. It's the difference in 
I spend all my time on preparation, not enough time on presentation. Or, I spend all my time on preparation and not enough time on presentation. Isn't that different? Just in the way you present it. I heard one guy who had multiple services say, the better his presentation, the more people responded. Isn't that interesting? God calls us to excellence. Whether it's excellence in the music or the organization or the preaching or whatever we do, whatever we organize in the church. So we let God work through us. Don't preach until you've prayed. Don't preach until you've obeyed the Lord. And don't preach until you've paid or until you've studied. I used to, uh, we used to have a Bible institute. Dr. Cooper taught there. I taught there. I had a dynamics of teaching course. So I, t- I told my students, if you don't take time to study, don't expect me to take time to listen. Right? Because preaching is one thing that occupies the most man hours of anything you ever do. So let's say I preach for 30 minutes here, however many people you got here, divide that by 30 into you got how many man hours I'm occupying. More, more time of your time is being occupied right now than anything else I do in a given week, except when I'm preaching somewhere else, right? So you take it seriously. You uh, devote yourselves to it and, and try to improve it. There's an elderly, elderly woman who was walking into the back door of a local country church, so uh, an usher came and greeted her and asked her where she'd like to sit. She said, I'd like to sit right up front, please. And the usher said, you really don't want to do that. The pastor is boring. <laughs> and the woman said, do you know who I am? The usher said, no. The woman said, I'm the pastor's mother. <laughs> the usher said, do you know who I am? She said, no. He said, good. <laughs> so as an elder, it's one who is mature, right? As a shepherd, it's one who feeds, one who shows competence. And then the third is lead or overseer or bishop. We see here in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God, that's that second word there, which is among you serving as overseers, that's the other word, and that word means to lead. So in the Timothy passage that I showed you earlier, 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says, if a man desires the office of bishop, that word bishop is episkopos. You see it up there, episkopos, made of two Greek words, epi, which means over, and skopos, which means to see. Telescope, microscope, to oversee. Well, a word in English that's just like that is supervision. Super is over, vision is to see, supervision. So there is a supervisory requirement for men who are called to be pastors. There is leadership that needs to be exercised from the pastor through the people to accomplish God's great vision. So I know Dr. Kwan is serving as a tent maker, which is wonderful. Um, Other men serve as full-time. That's wonderful too. So if you think about a pastor and a church that he's serving full-time, his whole family revolves around the church. His whole social life comes from the church, basically. His entire income, financially, comes from the church. His career is the church. Isn't that interesting? His time is given to the church. It's 24-7. You can get a call any time of the day or night, and we all have. So if God places that much responsibility on a man, don't you think he gives him some authority to carry that out? 
to lead. Supervision. You know, I've um, been in this position 15, almost 16 years. Before that, I served under a pastor in Texas, uh, Houston, Texas. Before that, I served under a pastor in Dublin, Dublin Baptist Church. So I, I served under the pastor, right? So would you believe that I didn't agree 100% with everything the pastor did? Can you, can you imagine that? Don't you think there are some things that he came up with that I thought that's not a great idea or that's not the best way to do it? But you know, nobody else ever knew that because he's still the pastor. He's still the leader. And most of the things people bark about has nothing to do with the Bible, right? So if it's not unbiblical, illegal, or immoral, go with what the guy says. Now, if it's unbiblical, you need to call him on it, right? If it's illegal, you need to call police, right, probably, or somebody. If it's immoral, it goes against biblical principles, you shouldn't do it anyway. But barring those three things, just do what the guy says. If he says, let's try a hot air balloon, and if he can figure out how to pay for it, God bless you. Even if he can't figure out how to pay for it, you need to follow him. The Stowe Mission, how many of you have been down there on Parsons Avenue? Yeah. So we're at that building at 888 Parsons. You know, we're across the street at 911 for years. So we'd been looking, praying for a place that's at least 15,000 square feet. Couldn't find a place and didn't have any money either. So got this group committee together looking. And so I was calling about an office. Association voted for me to get an office at a different place. So I get this realtor on the phone looking for an office. He said, yeah, okay, I got one, might work. I said, hey, we're also looking for a 15,000-square-foot building, right, for Stowe Mission to relocate. He said, hey, I got one. It's at 888 Parsons. Now, nobody knows it's for sale because the guys in there are going to lose their job. It was a body shop. They were selling it. We're going to have a body shop. He said, there are no signs outside. There's nothing on the website. Nobody knows it's for sale except him and the guy selling it. Even the people who worked there didn't know it was for sale. I'm like, that's it. Now, the problem was it cost $629,500 and about $700,000 renovated, about $1.3 million. And we didn't have that money, right? We had some in a special account for a church site fund that you couldn't use for that. But when I got here at one point, the checking account was down to $1,400. So we had some money in savings. So um, our association voted to do it. This is a short story. It'd take days for me to tell you the whole thing. 600 people showed up at a banquet, committed $730,000 over the next three years, and we paid the whole thing off in five years, $1.3 million. And then we announced that we were doing the second floor, seven, ended up being $700,000, had that paid off within a year. So if the church and our association said, we're not following that guy unless he knows how he's going to pay for this, never would have happened. And you know what? That's not how faith happens. Faith isn't you figure it all out and then you do it. Faith is you know where it's supposed to go, so you start walking. One of the most comforting verses in the Bible to me is over in Hebrews chapter 11, around verse 8. It's talking about Abraham. It says, Abraham left not knowing where he was going, right? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Now, I know where it's supposed to end up, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. So that church where I was in Texas, one of the largest churches in the country, 11,000 members, we were doing 
bought, had bought a second site. We're doing one church in two locations, all this stuff. So somewhere in the process, the four key leaders, we were sitting around a table, and the consensus was we really have no idea what we're supposed to do. And then we decided that's a good thing because that will cause us to surrender more for God to show us what those next steps are. So open a North Campus, had a thousand more people overnight, and here we go. If you're the pastor, God places a lot of responsibility on you. So I'm looking at that building and looking at 1.3 million, and I grew up in abject poverty, and to ask anybody for any money was viewed as wrong. That's one of those things I had to change, right? One of those self-limiting beliefs. It's what I thought. It's not what God says. So for God to do more through you, you have to change who you are. pastor came in recently wanted me to help him with some things. I said, well, the only way that church will change is if you change. So what I'm saying is you need to become an entirely different person for me to help you. He said, I think that's why I'm here. We got a deal. You got to let it go. I find it interesting in this passage, it talks about shepherding the flock of God, serving as overseers. But then it's followed up uh, by that verse we use a lot, verse 7, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. I think part of the reason people have so much anxiety is that they're taking responsibility that doesn't belong to them. That they think they're operating as if they're the pastor when they're not the pastor and God has given the pastor responsibility to lead the church because he's the overseer. That's often part of the problem. So that may be something that you need to let go. Overseer, leader, episkopos. So two indications of a lack of leadership. One is responsibility rejection. I made up that term. Saying things like, well, if God wants it to grow, it'll grow. No, you need to make it happen. Now, we know that you don't entirely make it happen, but if you're sitting there waiting for the wind to blow, it's never going to happen, right? Pastoring is more than sitting by the phone waiting for somebody to call with a good idea. <laughs> you need to be out there shaking and moving the thing towards the vision that God has given for you and for that local congregation, or it's not going to happen. The things that happen behind the scenes, the number of hours and praying and legwork that goes behind things. Now, the story I told you seemed like a great story, right? Hey, you announce it, 600 people, boom. Hundreds of hours of learning, talking to people, begging God, right? Asking people for money, thinking all the time, I'm going to die. This may not work. We were talking to one guy about giving. He said, well, I've been giving to this and giving to that. I said, hey, there's a 6 o'clock meeting in Marysville, right? Or maybe it's a long way away. I got up 3, 30, 4 o'clock to make it just to meet with this guy to ask him for money. That's part of the – he's why I'm giving it. I said, if we don't come up with the money, it's coming out of my salary. He said, well, forgive me for being selfish. Okay, but hey, we, we need some help here, right? Lots of conversations like that that I did not want to have any of them. I'd rather sit at your office and wait for a check. And your pastor puts in hours and hours that you will never know. He doesn't promote himself. He doesn't push himself. Just to put a sermon together and to do all the doing. Hours. 
<clears throat> and you know the emotional pain you have when something bad happens in your family? Somebody dies, or, right? The pastor has things like that. And he also has yours. So why is it that he's entrusted to be the overseer? Because nobody else in the church has that scope of ministry that he has. They have Caleb, great seeing him again. He's over the music area, but he's not over the whole church. He's in his lane. So I run in my lane and submit to the pastor for things that are overall. So responsibility rejection is assuming that it'll just happen if I hang around long enough or that I don't have to do anything or that I don't own it. If, if God has put me in charge of it, then I'm going to do everything I can do within biblical parameters to make sure that thing goes well. And that's required of a pastor. And then the other is uh, what I call delayed evangelization. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. God had a purpose, redemption of mankind. Jesus had a plan, came to seek and to save that which was lost. The church is supposed to win people to Jesus. You don't have to pray about it, right? You don't have to do a study about it. You don't need a book about it. You just need to do it. So part of the resistance in us sometimes is not doing what we already know to do. Uh, there was a lady, she was a secretary. She, I knew her for a while. She kept talking about going to nursing school for like, I knew her for like 10 years. So I go in one day, what do you think God wants to do? Well, I'm thinking of nursing school. And I said, okay, call the local nursing school office and register. She said, well, don't I need to pray about it? No. You've been telling me forever. Just do it. That's the limitation. It's not lack of knowing, it's lack of doing. So, Pastor, God has called you to the greatest purpose on earth, the redemption of mankind. God has called you to the reason that he created this entire planet. And it didn't take him by surprise that man fell, that he sinned, that he fell from grace away from God. And it also didn't take him by surprise that he called you. And that involves your wife. Yeah. Thank you for your transparency. Thank you for your honoring God today. Thank you for coming here from Korea uh, for us to be able to validate the fact that God has called you and that he has his hand on you. May the people in South Korea follow your leadership as you follow the Lord. Even as the apostle Paul said, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. It's the calling of every pastor. Amen. God bless you. So for you, what does God have for you today? Do I close with the invitation here? I'd like for you to stand with me and to bow your head and to close your eyes. It may be that God never calls you to be a pastor. He doesn't call most people to be pastors. If everybody were a preacher, nobody would be there to listen, right? But he has called you to something, a particular vocation, a particular avocation in life, something, an overall purpose that he wants you to accomplish. But he also wants to work on your self-limiting beliefs, those things that you believe about yourself that he doesn't say. You know that voice in your head that tells you certain things like you'll never do that or you can't do that? Or, is that God's voice? That's not God's voice. It's coming from somewhere else. And those are the very things. It's as if the Holy Spirit puts his finger on, on those messages, and he's saying, these are the things you need to change for me to really do in your life what I really want to do. 
So I'd like for you to pray up to God right now silently and to release one of those to him. One of those things that you tell yourself. It's not in the Bible. God doesn't say it. And really, it's not even you saying it. To release it to him. Father in heaven, we yield ourselves to you completely and totally. Surrender is an incredibly odd kind of thing because there are things that I surrender now or recently that I didn't even know I needed to surrender five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. But I realize it's not because you weren't ready, it's because I wasn't ready. So I thank you for these new chapters in my life. And I pray for the wisdom and for the insight for me to hear that still, small voice whispering to me, this is the way, walk in it. And to dispel those voices from elsewhere. Sometimes those things we tell ourselves is we can put it off. Or it doesn't have to be today. Or this Sunday is like any other Sunday. I can wait a while. I don't need to trust Christ now. I mean, things are, seem to be going okay. And yeah, I need, no, I need to do that. I need to know that, need to do that someday. Well, I can tell you that's not God's voice. Because God says in his word, today is a day of salvation. So if you really want to see God work in your life, that's the first thing that you need to do. You need to yield that to him, surrender your entire being to him. And it comes through admitting that you've sinned. By the way, that's not news to anybody, right? Confessing it, repenting of that, turning away from that, and then trusting Jesus Christ alone for salvation. So I'm going to be here at the front. If it's that decision, if it's that commitment for you to trust Christ with your life, or if it's a commitment to yield something else, maybe it's the way you operate in the church, maybe it's the way you think about things, Maybe it's your view of what the pastor should be and shouldn't be. Or maybe it's a yielding of yourself because God wants you to step into ministry, a full-time ministry that's taking more time than you're giving it right now, and you're holding back on that. I got pills to pay. I got kids. I got God knows all those things. So the question is, are you willing to step out by faith, or are you going to try to figure it all out again? The things God has done through my life, I never could have seen coming. Sometimes people ask me where I'm going to be in 10 years. I don't even know how I got here. But I know that I followed God a step at a time. Not that I followed him perfectly, but that's what he's asking of you. I'm going to ask Dr. Cooper to come to the front. So whatever it is that God is stirring in your heart, maybe it's just to pray to, you know, sometimes I write down my self-limiting beliefs. God, help me to believe what you believe. 